This is a crawdad song. Wake up, honey, you slept too late. Bing, boo. Wake up, honey, you slept too late. Crawdad man done past your gate. Welcome to Crawdads and Taters, Red State Rebels. We are writers, activists, and leftists who come from two of the reddest states in the country, Oklahoma and Idaho. When we say red, we may be referring to the indigenous, socialist, and labor histories of these states, or the right-wing fanaticism that they're known for today. As rebels, we use a leftist lens to analyze current events, political issues, and revolutionary movements that support our collective survival. So so my crawl, that's three, four, dime. Your crawl, that's not as fat as mine. Students in our universities are inundated with critical race theory. This is a Marxist doctrine holding that America is a wicked and racist nation, that even young children are complicit in oppression and that our entire society must be radically transformed. Critical race theory is being forced into our children's schools. It's being imposed into workplace trainings, and it's being deployed to rip apart friends, neighbors, and families. So here's Trump kicking off the anti-critical race theory campaign in the fall of 2020. I'm sure he's reading off a teleprompter here. And like everything he says, he's trying to rally his base by creating a dog whistle specifically designed to scare the crap out of white conservatives. Do you think he even knows what critical race theory is, Taters? Trump? No, no, definitely not. And now here we have Ted Cruz, the senator from Texas and former Republican presidential primary candidate. Now, what is critical race theory? You know, I had a just this week on Capitol Hill, I had a reporter run up to me. He thought, he thought he had a gotcha. He said, hey, what's critical race theory? Apparently, he thought I would turn to him and say, gosh, I have no idea. I think it's really bad, but I just don't know what it is, you know, because, you know, conservatives are morons and we don't know what we're talking about. <laughs> like, he really did think this was such a boy. He really got you there. And I explained to him, I said, well, it's a theory that derives from Marxism. Karl Marx viewed the entire world as a conflict between classes, between the owners of capital and the working men and women, the proletariat, a fundamental battle in society. Critical race theory takes that same Marxist concept, except it replaces class with race. And it says all of America and all of the world is a battle between the races. Critical race theory says every white person is a racist. Critical race theory says America is fundamentally racist and irredeemably racist. Critical race theory seeks to turn us against each other, and if someone has a different color skin, seeks to make us hate that person. And let me tell you right now, critical race theory is bigoted, it is a lie, and it is every bit as racist as the Klansmen in white sheets. Whoa, Ted Cruz, defensive much? I mean, damn, this is the classic right-wing take here, basically calling critical race theory reverse racism and trying to put it on par with white supremacist terrorist organizations like the KKK. Obviously, Ted Cruz is on a mission here to create a boogeyman and scare the crap out of other white conservatives. Yeah, and this is just absolutely ridiculous. 
I guess we now have the answer of whether Ted Cruz would have been any better as president than Trump. Right. <laughs> the only, only difference is that he can read proletariat off of a teleprompter, and I don't <laughs> think Trump could handle that. <laughs> oh, my God. So today we want to talk uh, about critical race theory because it's been in the news a lot lately. Um, but before that, I just want to let you know that we've created a Patreon. We put a lot of hours into each episode and would really appreciate your support at patreon.com slash crawdadsandtaters. As of June 26th, there are 25 states that have either introduced or passed legislation designing to ban teaching of critical race theory. These states are Alabama, Arizona, Arkansas, Connecticut, Florida, Idaho, Iowa, Kentucky, Louisiana, Maine, Michigan, Mississippi, Missouri, New Hampshire, North Carolina, Ohio, Oklahoma, Rhode Island, South Carolina, South Dakota, Tennessee, Texas, Utah, West Virginia, and Wisconsin. Wow. Wait, so, wasn't that like all of the United States? <laughs> were there any states that weren't on that list? It was 25, so that, that's half of half, that's half of the states. Right, that's half of them. Okay, jeez. So what is critical race theory and why is it so threatening, especially to conservatives? So we've done a lot of research on this recently. I think one of the best definitions I've read of critical race theory comes from the Boston Review. Here it is, quote, Critical race theory refers to a body of legal scholarship developed in the 1970s and 80s, largely out of Harvard Law School by the likes of Derek Bell, Kimberly Crenshaw, Patricia Williams, Mari Matsuda, and Charles Lawrence III, among others. Though varied in their views, what unites the work of these scholars is a shared sense of importance of attending explicitly to race in legal argument. Given the perpetuation of racial and other hierarchies through the structure, the structure of colorblind law instituted after the Civil Rights Act of 1965. But since then, the framework has been taken up, expanded, and applied more generally to social discourse and practice. As a jurisprudential and social theory, it's open to critique and revision and even rejection with compelling counter argument, all of which are notably absent from the current attacks. Wow, that was a mouthful. <laughs> yeah, that was very academic. Um, so to sum up, basically what it's saying is that it started out as a legal framework and over time has evolved into a broader body of work. Exactly. It started out as this legal framework in the 1970s and 80s. And over time, it has gradually evolved to encompass a whole array of scholarship that could probably more broadly be defined as critical race studies but the media still calls it critical race theory. Okay, that makes sense to me. Um, so now we have these authors like Ibram X. Kendi and Robin D'Angelo, whose scholarship doesn't fall under this traditional legal definition of critical right. race theory. Right, they were not part of that original legal framework camp at all. That's like totally something that they've come into it recently. Okay, and so on this podcast, are we going to be talking about the original definition or the broader definition that's more commonly accepted by the media today? Right. For the sake of this podcast, we will be talking about it as, as it's more commonly defined today and not by the limits of this legal framework that came out of the 70s and 80s. But we just think it's important to talk about that legal framework because it, it is the foundation of all of this. And that, that seems to kind of get lost in a lot of the current analysis today. Okay, great. 
And so we've looked into the history of critical race theory and found that it can be kind of summarized with six tenets, mm -hmm. which Richard Delgado has described in his 2017 book, Critical Race Theory and Introduction. What are those six tenets, Taters? So first, race is a social construct. It's not merely the product of individual bias or prejudice, but also something embedded in legal systems and policies. Mm -hmm. Second, racism is ordinary, endemic to society, part of everyday life. So people, white or non-white, who don't intend to be racist can make choices that fuel racism. Mm -hmm. um, legal advances or setbacks for people of color serve the interests of dominant white groups. This tenet also acknowledges that whites have no incentive to eradicate systems that continually privilege them. That makes sense. Intersectionality, um, the idea that people can suffer from multiple types of oppressions at the same time based on multiple political or social identities that they hold. Mm -hmm. um, so say a black person could also suffer from being oppressed for being a woman and a lesbian at the same time as being black. Right. Um, Another tenant, this is the fifth one, voices of color hold authority to talk about race and racism. Mm -hmm. Because of their unique histories and experiences with oppression, Black, American, Indian, Asian, and Latino can communicate to their white counterparts matters that the whites are less likely to know. Right. There's a presumed competence to speak about race and racism. And then finally, there's a need for a social justice agenda, acknowledgement of these endemic inequalities and the need to pursue equality for all. Right. Yeah, these tenants all seem pretty straightforward to me. I mean, for most people who've had some kind of higher education in liberal arts colleges and universities, I, I feel like these ideas are pretty basic and familiar. But for whatever reason, this particular legal and academic framework that's been around for decades has now become the fodder for a major culture war launched by the right wing against public education and how it's being practiced in the United States today. And as you mentioned, Taters, as of June 26, 25 states have now introduced legislation or passed laws to ban critical race theory in schools and universities. So let's hear from just a few of the voices on both sides of this culture war. We'll start with a couple defenders or proponents of critical race theory. The first voice is Kimberly Crenshaw. She's a lawyer, civil rights advocate, philosopher, and leading scholar within critical race theory who developed the theory of intersectionality. She's a full-time professor at the UCLA School of Law and Columbia Law School, where she specializes in race and gender issues. Critical race theory just says, let's pay attention to what has happened in this country and how what has happened in this country is continuing to create differential outcomes so we can become that country that we say we are. So critical race theory is not anti-patriotic. In fact, it is more patriotic than those who are opposed to it because we believe in the 13th and the 14th and the 15th Amendment. We believe in the promises of equality and we know we can't get there if we can't confront and talk honestly about inequality. And here's Mark Lamont Hill, professor, author, activist, public intellectual, and news television anchor. He teaches media studies and urban education at Temple University in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And he's also the host of Black News Tonight. And, and just to be clear, 
The argument of critical race theory isn't that by virtue of some biological determinism, that is to say, it's not because you come out of the womb with white skin that you are racist. It's to say that we live in a society that grants differential power and status to people based on how they are racialized. And by virtue of that, there is a racial dynamic and there is a, a, a racial inequality that's produced. And so telling white people that, yeah, in a, in a white supremacist world, whiteness has power, whiteness has the ability to, to control, whiteness has the ability to be viewed or constructed as more beautiful, more smart, more sane, more rational. That to me, I, I'm not convinced that you've made the case that that is an act of racism in and of itself. Could you, could you help me understand that more? Here, Mark Lamont Hill is actually debating Chris Rufo one of critical race theory's most vocal opponents and the principal architect of anti-critical race theory legislation. And now we're going to hear from Rufo. He's a contributing editor for City Journal and a senior fellow of the Manhattan Institute, a conservative think tank. On a theoretical level, I think critical race theory is an intellectually bankrupt theory, uh, but in itself, it's harmless. Ideas uh, in theory and the abstract uh, are not necessarily harm, harmful. I, I would support schools, for example, teaching critical race theory as one of many theories and then offering a, a critique. But what we're seeing that in practice, uh, critical race theory across a wide range of institutions, uh, including the federal government, including public schools, uh, actually, when it's actually implemented, uh, teachers are engaging in practices that uh, can only be described as, again, a form of state-sanctioned racism, uh, promoting the ideas of race essentialism, that you can reduce people to their racial essence, the ideas of collective guilt, that if someone has uh, a similar characteristics as someone who committed a historical crime, that person should be held accountable and guilty for it. And finally, in some places, they're actually reviving racial segregation, a place like King County, Washington's public libraries, now separates some training sessions for employees with one door and one room for people of color, one door and one room uh, for white employees. And uh, it's really simple. All forms of racism are wrong. It doesn't matter if they're coming from the Klan or practitioners of CRT. Uh, I, I oppose all of it. Yeah, so I guess what we just heard here were two very different positions on critical race theory. Would you like to sum up what the proponents of CRT are arguing, Claudette? Sure, um, I'll give it a shot. So proponents are basically arguing that critical race theory shines a light on systemic racism and other barriers to equality that disproportionately affect people of color. It advances the need for a social justice agenda within public education that elevates the voices and experiences of people of color to speak and teach about their own lived experiences with authority, incorporating the voices of many oppressed and marginalized groups resulting in curricula that teaches a more complete history of the United States. And how would you summarize, Taters, what the opponents are arguing? Yes, yeah, so the most vocal CRT opponents are these right-wingers like Chris Rufo and Ted Cruz. At least they're the ones who are getting the most media attention. And it's important to say here that, you know, while CRT does receive criticism from the left as well, we're gonna get into that later, but the dominant critical voices, which we're hearing in the mainstream media, are these right-wing conservative voices. They're calling it divisive, anti-patriotic, and punitive toward white students. And they often refer to it as reverse racism or state-sanctioned racism. And pretty often they use that scare word, you know, they label it as a Marxist ideology. Thanks for that summary, Taters. 
So that concludes our introduction. We'll be right back with our anti-fascist analysis right after a quick break. So crawdads, what are the fascist tendencies that you're seeing in this war on critical race theory that you'd like to comment about? Yeah, so I think it's fair to say that there are fascist overtones in all of these authoritarian efforts that we're seeing by Republicans in their need to control education, to turn the clock backward, and basically try to prevent public education from evolving democratically. I mean, our society has evolved and become more diverse and non-white over many decades, and we're quickly moving towards a non-white majority. So it seems perfectly natural to me that this non-white majority is a bit tired of these historic power structures that are based on white supremacy, colonialism, and capitalism, and the huge inequality that comes from these systems. Social movements have been confronting these you know, racist and sexist oppressive systems for decades, and critical race theory is just one of these movements that happens to have evolved inside academia. But the second part to my analysis here is that at this moment, the Republican Party has been completely captured by right-wing extremists and the ruling class, and they really have nothing to offer the people in terms of actually supporting material needs. And so their entire platform is shifting in this very Trumpian style to demonizing social movements, demonizing black and brown people, and any efforts that these social movements are making to redress the wrongs of the white supremacist patriarchal class-based hierarchies that are really the bedrock of this country. And critical race theory has been just one of the instruments in this larger cultural and demographic shift to make our education more representative of the people. So of course, today's right wing wants to kill it, to block it, to make it illegal because critical race theory empowers the voices of people of color. So that's pretty straightforward to me. And it's not really that much different than say the voter suppression efforts that we're seeing coming from the far right wing as well. And that I think are motivated by the same fear and panic on the part of the white male capitalist state. Fear and panic, yeah, that sounds right. <laughs> and it's beyond insane. They've gone so far to suggest that teachers wear body cameras. I oh think this is in Nevada to make sure that critical race theory isn't being taught in classrooms. That's insane. And of course, critical race theory has just become this catch-all phrase, this boogeyman, this dog whistle for any curriculum that makes the white power structure uncomfortable. And I've noticed that a huge part of the leverage that the right wing has in this debate is in their power to define or misdefine what critical race theory is and is not. And they are relying on this confusion in their base to scare the crap out of people. Exactly. And that's why we're seeing the red baiting. The, this is a Marxist doctrine. Um, right. Another quotation from Boston Review that kind of addresses this, quote, the exact targets of critical race theory's critics vary wildly, but it is obvious that most critics simply do not know what they are talking about. Instead, critical race theory functions for the right today primarily as an empty signifier for any talk of race and racism at all, a catch-all specter lumping together multiculturalism, wokeism, anti-racism, and identity politics. 
or indeed any suggestion that racial inequities in the United States are anything but fair outcomes. The result of choices made by equally positioned individuals in a free society. They are simply against any talk, discussion, mention, analysis, or intimation of race, except to say that we shouldn't talk about it, end quote. So, you know, the right wing is trying to act as a kind of authoritarian thought police, which is what makes their position a very fascist and dangerous one. Now, let's take a look at your home state, Crawdads. You know, oh, mentioned... <laughs> As we mentioned before, critical race theory has been in the news a lot recently because of all these bills. Here's an Oklahoma school teacher. I've actually been teaching race and ethnicity in the United States for multiple years. House Bill 1775 restricts what can be taught about racial divisions through history in Oklahoma classrooms. I got an email a week or so ago saying that due to this new law, they were canceling my completely full race and ethnicity class. Now her students won't be able to take her class, even though it was required for some to graduate and she won't be paid for it either. So that's a huge chunk of my income. We can and should teach this history without labeling a young child as an oppressor or requiring he or she feel guilt or shame based on their race or sex. I refuse to tolerate otherwise. Melissa says she doesn't teach kids one race is superior over another, but they do talk about racism and privilege. To learn that there are, are actual disparities between the races in terms of education and housing and income. She also points out her class is offered at a college where students choose to take it. It's not forced upon anyone. It's just interesting that, that these adults who are paying for their own education can't choose their own classes that they want to attend. OCCC says they are now looking into the law to see if the class could still be offered in the future. Erin Bue, KOCO 5 News. Wow, so that was Oklahoma's Governor Stitt, who is now advocating for cutting college classes that talk about race. Yeah, and so this Oklahoma bill, it doesn't come right out and name critical race theory. Instead, it says, quote, no teacher, administrator, or other employee of a school district charter school or virtual charter school shall require or make a part of the course the concept that any individual should feel discomfort, guilt, anguish, or any other form of psychological distress on account of his or her race or sex, or that any individual by virtue of his or her race or sex is inherently racist, sexist, or oppressive, whether consciously or unconsciously. <laughs> this is hilarious. Like, Oh my gosh, all of a sudden, Oklahoma's Governor Stitt cares about people feeling discriminated against based on their race and sex for the first time in history, now that white males are being affected by it. Isn't this pretty much Robin DiAngelo's definition of white fragility? I think so. He sounds pretty fragile to me. Yeah, he sounds pretty fragile. <laughs> and Taters, Idaho's deep in with it too. I'm going to quote here from a press release from April 8th of this year, 2021, released by the Office of Idaho Lieutenant Governor Janice McGeechan. Is that how you say her name? I actually have no idea. Okay. We're, we're calling her McGeechan. Okay. McGeechan. Maybe, maybe we should find out. <laughs> I don't think so. Okay, let's just call her McGeechan. She's just okay. the lieutenant governor anyway. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> 
Idaho Lieutenant Governor Janice McGeechan is working on putting together a task force to examine the indoctrination in Idaho and to protect our young people from the scourge of critical race theory, socialism, communism, and Marxism. Quote, we must find where these insidious theories and philosophies are lurking and excise them from our education system, Lieutenant Governor Meacham said, end quote. Okay, so I went to school in Idaho and I didn't see any lurking communism, critical race theory, or Marxism. You didn't? Just, just for the record. For some reason, I'm having this visual flashback to like the Iraq invasion where like President Bush talked about like smoking them out of their holes. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta smoke those critical race theorists out of their holes. We're gonna go yeah. school by school. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Because they're lurking in the caves. They're lurking there. Oh yeah, deep within the depths of the Idaho education system, these evil Marxists you know, teaching critical everything. race theory to your children. Watch Along out. Along with the communists, the socialists, and every other scourge of society lurking in the hallways and the lockers of your children's schools. I wish I could find a school like that in Idaho. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, maybe if Lieutenant Governor Begichin had gone to one of those schools, she would have uh, learned what critical race theory actually is. Hmm. But instead, she's out here. She just recently um, she released an ex executive order against masking. Oh, so great. She doesn't really believe in science. I also want to note that the president-elect of the Idaho School Boards Association he was invited to take part in this task force. He attended the first meeting and then left saying, quote, we left that first meeting with no definition of critical race theory, no idea if it fits within <laughs> Idaho's core standards or not, and we're now supposed to have curriculum and all this stuff brought to us to now investigate, but I still didn't know what we were even investigating because we hadn't even defined it. Oh my God. I, this, so now that I feel like I'm having like flashbacks to like Trump, Trump's auditors, like, you know, looking for election irregularities, but like having no idea what they're actually looking for. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, but this is so cliche. Go ahead. And if you look hard enough, you might find something, right? Right, exactly. Surely, <laughs> surely there's some kind of terrible impropriety going on here but we don't even know what we're looking for. Because <laughs> we don't know what critical race theory is. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, this whole task force was just a joke and the State Board of Education and the Department of Education were not even represented on the task force. Right. Instead, awesome. it was just the Lieutenant Governor and whoever she selected to go out and hunt down these critical race theorists. Yep, smoke them out of their holes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, this isn't just Oklahoma. It's not just Idaho. We said 25 states. Yep. Um, here's a clip from Missouri Representative Brian Seitz. Um, not too good a pronunciation on that That's one either. Okay. That's okay. <laughs> Let it roll. Basically, it, it all forms around the uh, 1619 project. I think that's how critical race theory is going to infiltrate the schools. And basically, it's to declare that America's beginnings 
were negative based on slavery rather than the events surrounding 1776. And uh, I just think it's important to teach history accurately and not bring critical race theory into the students. <laughs> because of course, accuracy depends on only representing a white perspective. <laughs> like, oh my God, who is this Yahoo? Okay. So yeah, we've been hearing a lot of complaints from the far right about the 1619 Project. And in response to the 1619 Project, Texas Governor Greg Abbott actually came up with his very own history lesson, <laughs> the 1836 Project. In related news, Texas Republican Governor Greg Abbott signed into law the 1836 Project Monday. The name is a reference to the 1619 Project and marks the year Texas seceded from Mexico to evade Mexico's ban on slavery. The 1836 Project promotes patriotic education about Texas and ensures that the generations to come understand Texas values. Nicole Hannah-Jones and others responded to the announcement of the 1836 project by highlighting the fact Texas had fully legalized slavery in its constitution and was guilty at that time of lynching black and Mexican Texans. So I'm a little confused here now. Is it 1619, 1776, or 1836 now? <laughs> <laughs> Are you talking about like when the United States began? Is that, is that your Yeah, point? yeah. I mean, I guess, you know, Texas is a separate country at this point, so we need to right. have the 1836 project for them. Right, right, right. right. Next thing we know, it's going to be what, the 2016 project, because that's when Trump was elected? Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> That's the privilege of these politicians. They get to define when history starts. It's a very entitled position. Yeah, well, it is really important that we teach accurate history, like uh, Missouri representative told us. In case people don't know, Nicole Hannah-Jones is the New York Times Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist who produced the 1619 Project, an interactive project that re-examines the legacy of slavery. Her work became the target of right-wing attacks last year after the Trump administration threatened to pull federal funding from schools that use the 1619 project in their curriculum and created the 1776 commission as a counter to it. That's a pretty shitty indictment of where our society is at. Yeah, so let's keep on hearing more hot takes from the right on critical race theory. Oh, more, okay. Next. Interesting how we have so many more takes from the right than from the left, you know, I mean, it's, or from the critical race theory proponents, it's, but, but I mean, that's just kind of typical. Well, we really have to highlight the fascism that the, you know, these GOP is carrying out in their agenda to stop critical race theory. Yeah, yeah, that's what we're looking at. So next we have... Chris Rufo, the Manhattan Institute conservative think tank guy who is leading the charge on all of this anti-critical race theory legislation. Right. He's that the primary architect, right? Yes, that's him. He's, mm -hmm. he's the guy that's always quoted in all of these right-wing hit pieces on critical race theory. Okay. Let's hear from Mr. Rufo. Yeah, I, I think it's an accurate description because critical race theory, as it's practiced in institutions, as it's adopted in places like public schools, 
uh, engages in practices that can only be described by any rational person as a form of state-sanctioned racism. In San Diego, they told people, they told teachers, quote, you are racist, you are upholding racist ideas uh, simply because of the color of their skin. In Cupertino, California, for example, they separated third graders. These are eight and nine-year-olds. They forced them to deconstruct their racial and sexual identities and then separated them into people who had power and privilege and people who did not. Uh, and finally, a place like even Springfield, Missouri, not exactly a, a blue city or a blue state, they, they told white male Christian teachers that by, by their inborn characteristics, they were inherently oppressors and had to atone for their covert white supremacy. Again, not judging people on their behavior, their character, their actions, their beliefs, just judging them on inborn characteristics, uh, particularly race. So Chris Rufo actually said what we just heard in a recent debate with Mark Lamont Hill, uh, author, activist, and professor of media studies and urban education at Philadelphia's Temple University. And this is how Mark Lamont Hill responded to Rufo's accusation that critical race theory is race essentialism. In fact, critical race theory is premised on the idea that race is a social construct. It's actually pushing back against these sort of enlightenment ideas about people being uh, about biological determinism. It's saying that we're constructed in the world as people and, and the world shapes these identities. That, these, that race isn't real in the sense that it's biology. It's, it's a social construct. Right. So that's one of the central tenets that we've been talking about of critical race theory, that race is a social construct. And I think what's kind of scary to me is that uh, Rufo in a lot of ways is kind of the more effective evil than like Ted Cruz or, um, you know, some of the just purely emotionally reactionary voices that we've heard so far, because he's like, you know, trying to give some room or acting as if he's giving room to critical race theory to be like one of many theories that should be allowed, but that there should be a critical analysis of it. But then he's also, you know, I reading about him, you know, I've read that he basically has acted as a, um, like an inside Intel spy repository for people that he sends into classrooms to collect damaging information on critical race theory and then report back to him so that he can keep like a repository of it to use as propaganda in the media. And then he could come across like sounding like he's really knowledgeable and informed and balanced in his perspective, but he's actually incredibly strategic and um, scheming about the way that he's presenting this side of it. So I just thought that was important to mention. Yeah, I mean, I think he has just enough knowledge to make him dangerous mm -hmm. because he can sound like an authority on it. Right. Whereas someone like Trump doesn't really have any clue. Right. And you know, even Ted Cruz is like, well, I know what critical race theory is, but then all he has is a little bit about, well, it's a Marxist doctrine. Right, right. But you know, someone like Chris Rufo is willing to engage in debate with Mark Lamont Hill. Mm -hmm. And he can bring up some points that you know might sound like he knows where he's coming from. Mark Lamont Hill shuts him down. Right. But when you're giving Rufo a voice on like Fox News where there's no one who's going to correct him. Right. It's very easy for, you know, conservative working class families who watch Fox News to think, well, this guy's an expert. He knows what he's talking about. They're gonna, you know. Right. 
I mean, teach he's my being, children to be racist. Right. And he's being held up as the expert and he's being contracted by the government to author legislation to ban critical race theory. So this guy has tremendous power. And we can't forget the notorious Candace Owens, once an anti-Trump, anti-conservative blogger, now turned famous right-wing demagogue that every Fox News host likes to call upon for their diversity quota. Yeah, she's black and a woman, so Fox News thinks they can't be called racist or sexist when it's Candace Owens saying it. Welcome back. I'm back with author Candace Owens. And Candace, I want to talk to you about what's going on in our curriculums in schools these days. A friend of mine sent me uh, a piece from her son's seventh grade class where they're saying, if you identify as white, come to a meeting because we want to make sure you uh, can thrive and strive not to be a racist. They're assuming every kid is a racist, Candace. Absolutely. And I know that Megyn Kelly pulled out her, her children from school for similar reasons. And this is a big topic that I cover extensively. I truly believe that it's time for us to pull our kids out of school. And I know people say, oh, well, not all of us can afford to do that. This is The country wasn't built um, on people having a lot of money when they were homeschooling. Um, and we're starting to see this more and more. It's indoctrination that's happening. They're, they're trying to fuel uh, race issues in this country. They're trying to teach this Marxist ideology. And the bad thing is here, Maria, they're replacing uh, hard academics. These kids are not learning science, not learning mathematics, they're learning how to hate white people, they're learning how to hate their country. Um, and this is problematic for the future. What they're trying to do is guarantee that they have an ignorant group of people that vote based on emotion. This is a Democrat long-term strategy, and it's finally coming into fruition. <laughs> Wait, did I just hear her say they're trying to guarantee that they have an ignorant group of people that vote based on emotion? That sounds familiar. Yeah, that's what she said. Uh Wonder, wait, she said Democratic Party, though? I mean, I guess that kind of covers the Democratic Party, but a well, little bit more Republican. Yeah. <laughs> if there's one party in this country that has historically relied on emotion and ignorance, we know which party that is. Since when does education make you more ignorant and more likely to vote based on emotion anyway? I mean, she's like literally flipping the script here. This is where I think she's taking her old talking points as an anti-conservative blogger and just slapping them on to critical race theory educators. Damn, I mean, her rhetoric is so formulaic. It's a joke, really. But of course, the right wing eats it up, don't they? They love it. And they, that's why she's so popular. Why yep. for president? Yep. And like you said, they love using Candace Owens because they think that they're re representing diverse identity politics by using her, you know, because she's a black woman, they don't have to account for the white supremacist rhetoric that comes out of her mouth. Yeah, if Candace Owens said it, it can't be racist, right? Can't be. Speaking of racist, should we talk a little bit more about Chris Rufo? Yeah, what do you make, taters, of Chris Rufo, the guy that's spearheading this whole anti-critical race theory legal effort? I don't even know, you know, where to start. He's been such a key part of this whole movement to kind of smear critical race theory as the enemy. Mm -hmm. um, I want to read this tweet that he sent on March 15th. Okay. It says, um, quote, we have successfully frozen their brand, critical race theory, into the public conversation and are steadily driving up negative perceptions. We will eventually turn it toxic as we put all of the various cultural insanities under that brand category. The wow. goal is to have the public read something crazy in the newspaper and immediately think critical race theory. 
we have decodified the term and will recodify it to annex the entire range of cultural constructions that are unpopular with Americans. Oh my God, he's so calculating. Yeah, like we said, he's dangerous. He's very dangerous. You know, this is a propaganda campaign that he's talking about and he just flat out tweeted it. He's like, this is what we're doing. We're redefining it. Like... It's like he's he's like developed metrics around the success of his rebranding campaign. Like he's he, this is a science for him. It's not even just an emotional reaction. This is like a finely tuned machine that he's honing. Yeah, this is completely calculated. Yeah, you know, in addition to what we heard him say in that debate with Mark Lamont Hill about state-sanctioned racism, mm-hmm. you know, he's also written this entire manifesto on why you know CRT is the enemy. And I want to read again from him. I know it's getting old hearing what he has to say, but it's important that we understand, you know, what, what, what he's the doing. narrative yeah, is. He's, you the, know? he's the mastermind. He's like yeah. the man behind the curtain. Anyway, so here's what he wrote in this kind of his own little anti-CRT manifesto. Okay. In this case, it's not a matter of interpretation. Critical race theory prescribes a revolutionary program that would overturn the principles of the declaration and destroy the remaining structure of the constitution, end quote. (laughs) Talk about redefining critical race theory. Right, now it's just trying to destroy the entire declaration of independence and the constitution of the United States. No, no overreaction there, no, no emotional you know, reaction fueling that analysis. Did we miss that when we were researching critical race theory? When, you know, in Delgado's book, I kind of- I think I missed that. Must have been the seventh tenet, overturning the constitution and destroying the country. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) I had an entire undergraduate education informed by critical race theorists and I somehow missed that part about, you know, actually destroying the country. I don't know where, I must have been sick that day. Yeah, and then in this same manifesto, he goes on to mention that critical race theory calls to abolish private property. I mean, this is straight from the communist manifesto. And I I want to abolish private property. Right? (laughs) And this is just so distorted. Like, yeah, it's just kind of a theme on the right that, you know, if it's not Trump, it's a left-wing plot. Right, right, exactly. I mean, their their version of reality is just so far out there. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's what Rufo is playing on. Right, so yeah, so I mean, just to bring it back to Rufo, he's basically this Seattle filmmaker who turned into a political analyst a few years ago and starts working for right-wing think tanks He ran an unsuccessful race for city council, Seattle city council. And then he started collecting curricula from Seattle anti-racism seminars. That's when he realized that he had his, um, his ticket or his, you know, like golden opportunity to construct a propaganda campaign that was very strategically designed to scare the shit out of conservatives. And he basically laid out a theory that critical race theory is a Marxist plot, a kind of state-sanctioned racism that has infiltrated all of our schools and curricula. And he's created this enormous dog whistle boogeyman out of critical race theory. I mean, even though the way he describes critical race theory has almost nothing to do with what critical race theory actually was 
historically or today, but this is a fear campaign. So he has weaponized the term critical race theory, and then he goes on to Fox News to promote his propaganda campaign, becomes an advisor to the Trump White House, and is now the principal architect and author behind the anti-critical race theory legislation in 25 states. Not only that, but he's making a killing off of it. <laughs> yeah, of course. The New Yorker recently says, quote, Rufo's rise had matched that of the movement against critical race theory. He'd become a senior fellow at the Manhattan Institute, for which he had written more than two dozen document-based articles, mostly about anti-bias training in the government, schools, and corporations, which he told me had together accrued more than 250 million impressions online. Wow. That's a, that's a huge amount of impressions. I, mean, I don't know if he's getting advertising revenue from that, but if he were, I mean, that's yeah, insane. I mean, he's actually attached his career. He's building a career. He's building his career off of constructing this weaponized fear campaign around critical race theory. Like that's sadistic, you know, that's not just misinformed and reactionary like we're used to from a lot of right wingers. That's like calculated and conniving and sadistic. It is. And, you know, if he hadn't started this crusade against critical race theory, I don't think anyone would know who he was. Some guy who failed in a campaign for Seattle City Council. Exactly. I mean, his life was obviously, his career was obviously going nowhere. So he had to like, he had to trick the system some way or find some golden opportunity to like manipulate something so that he could then launch his career off of hate. Yeah. Talk about a grifter. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. I mean, what an evil dude, like no one should be listening to this guy or giving him a platform. No, it's just, it's crazy that he's allowed, you know, this kind of influence. He's working with state legislatures to pass these bills that will prevent, you know, schools from teaching about slavery, redlining, Jim Crow, and the prison industrial complex. He's claiming that it's state-sanctioned racism that they're teaching about these things. Right? I mean, how fucking ironic is that? I mean, <laughs> teaching about slavery, redlining, and Jim Crow is state-sanctioned racism, but practicing those things wasn't state-sanctioned racism. <laughs> like, that's a pretty bold statement. I mean, talk about like flipping reality on its head. I mean, I just see this as this incredibly reactionary right-wing attempt to silence any analysis that addresses the fundamental structural racism that the United States is founded on. And I'm sorry, but that is the foundation of the United States. And if you listen to all these critics of critical race theory, they're reacting to these hyperbolic examples of discrimination against white students that they perceive are happening all over the place, rejecting that institutional racism, structural racism, and racial capitalism are real things. I mean, they won't admit any of that. Their entire argument is based on shutting down the debate and essentially enforcing a patriotic white supremacist mythology instead of US history. And that's what we mean by fascism. They just wanna erase and reconstruct. And that's, you know, I mean, honestly, that white supremacist version of history is the history we've always had in the public schools. And the way US history is being taught now is finally beginning to change, but barely, I mean, just barely. 
you know, I mean, I've been directing a documentary film for the last 13 years about how Oklahoma history erases the voices of indigenous people, writes them out of the history books. I mean, their histories aren't taught at all. And Oklahoma has barely changed the way it teaches this history in the last hundred years. I mean, we're barely making inroads. And as soon as like a few voices of color or a colonized or oppressed classes just barely begin to be heard, the right wing literally loses its shit. And now they're screaming that they're the victims of state sanctioned racism. Holy crap, I mean, it's Orwellian really. Like black is white, up is down, and white supremacists are now the victims of more complete and accurate US history being taught at school. I mean, like what else is there to say? Yeah, and this is a typical tactic on the right, you know, accuse your opponent of being what you are. So it's like, I'm not racist, you're racist. Yeah. I'm rubber and you're glue. <laughs> you know, whatever you say bounces off me and sticks to you. <laughs> uh, sounds like uh, elementary school <laughs> arguments. Well, that's that's the level we're on at this point. Yeah. <laughs> and this is just, it's really immature. Um, I, I actually, I know this is kind of out there, but it reminds me of when Trump and Biden were arguing on the debate stage that the other one wanted to defund the police when actually neither of them wanted to defund the police. <laughs> perfect, perfect example. These conservatives, they want to ban critical race theory and they're claiming it's racist. I don't understand how, how their logic works. Yeah, it's totally absurd. I mean, talk about cancel culture. Like the right wing is always accusing the left of using cancel culture against them. And now the right wing just wants to cancel mm, all of US history, that's all. And make it illegal to teach it if it's not from a white perspective or if it makes white kids uncomfortable, yeah. No irony there. Uh, yeah, well, actually Obama just came out with a statement against cancel culture as well. Oh, great. <laughs> great. Uh, he, he said it goes overboard. <laughs> That's, uh, I guess, one more thing he's got in common with Republicans. Uh, can we just, you know, cancel, cancel culture already? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, obviously, you know, this is our anti-fascist section. And I think it's safe to say that this is part of a much broader fascist movement, you know, along with other things like voter suppression to forcefully silence the voices and realities of Black and Indigenous people of color. And I think we can just say that this is part of a broader political backlash that we've been witnessing for decades in response to the bigger demographic transitions in the United States as it becomes less and less white. And yeah, the, yeah, it's yeah. backlash, you know, white lash. Totally. White lash, yeah, like what, what Robin D.G. Kelly calls white lash. What's taking place now, I mean, this whole war on, on critical race theory is really about protecting and privileging white ignorance, right? I mean, it's funny, like the right wing now totally hates Robin D'Angelo and her book, White Fragility. And D'Angelo really has nothing to do with critical race theory, or at least traditionally. But as long as we're lumping her in, like talk about white fragility, like banning education that you don't like because history makes you uncomfortable. I mean, that's like the definition of white fragility. Like, what a bunch of white supremacist babies. <laughs> it just, you know, I mean, it's, and it reminds me of like how anti-maskers like throw temper tantrums at the mere idea of science, like dictating what's safe. It's just really amazing to step back and realize how extreme the far right has become sometimes. Like they live in a world that's so entrenched in white supremacist mythology that the mere notion of recognizing non-white experiences has become 
intolerable, like intolerable. So much so that they're trying to freaking legislate these experiences out of existence. And of course, they see themselves as the victims of all of this, right? They're the victims of public education now. And so they have to have they have to police teachers and police schools and put cameras in the classroom to make sure that nobody teaches anything that makes their poor white kids feel <laughs> uncomfortable. <laughs> poor babies. That's <laughs> totally insane. Yeah, this it's so so crazy. Like I've said, um, Robin D'Angelo, I think what she says she does is critical racial and social justice education. Okay which I think that's a lot of scary words for the right. Totally. Here we got critical. We don't We've want that. We got social justice. We don't want racial. Don't I don't think that. we want education either. So we don't want any of that. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, they're actual politicians. We heard from, you know, congressmen and governors who are yeah. running parts of our country and they're buying into this rhetoric that Rufo is pushing. Yeah. I mean, look, look at Florida here. So their governor, Ron DeSantis, oh God. just recently said, quote, there's no room in our classrooms for things like critical race theory. Teaching kids to hate their country and to hate each other is not worth one red cent of taxpayer money. Oh my God. You can't teach now that racism is embedded in American society in Florida. That's, That's amazing. Like, you can't teach accurate history without teaching that racism is embedded in American society. Like, how how are teachers going to how are, how are they going to even teach us i mean how are they going to teach the facts of us history how are they going to even teach about slavery if they're not allowed to say that racism is embedded in the culture of us society you, you can't like what are you supposed to say racism was a, i mean slavery was a total anomaly like, <laughs> like, we were the super equal and just country and then all of a sudden slavery happened <laughs> just you know happened that there were these slaves and it just happened that they were black yeah it wasn't racism no and before that there just happened to be this genocide of indigenous people but that was a total anomaly because you know in the United States, we're all on an equal playing field and level playing field. Level level playing field, and I think the free market created everything. Oh, right, right, and the, <laughs> the free market definitely gives equal opportunity to everybody. So I don't know what their problem is here. <laughs> Why they need this extra education? You know, this is you know, it's all a part of an electoral strategy on the part of the Republican Party. Yeah. You know, DeSantis, who just signed this bill and talks about the evils of communism, he recently actually pulled above Donald Trump at the Western Conservative Summit, which was oh, wow. just held in Denver. Yeah. We are potentially looking at a DeSantis presidential run in 2024. Oh, my God. And he's going to be running on these bills that he just enacted, you know, banning critical race theory and the 1619 oh Project. Wow. So it's like, I mean, this if this is not a sign of how completely morally and ethically bankrupt the Republican party has become, like they don't have any platform anymore that actually represents the people and what the people need. And so their entire campaigns are being built on scare tactics and dog whistles and boogeymen, like from start to finish. Yeah, if it worked for Donald Trump, Right. It'll keep on working at, at, at their base and they're going to keep on playing for that 
that base, I guess. Yep. And um, that's what fascism is all about, folks. All these Republicans, these old white senators and guys in Congress, you know, they went to school when the textbooks were still approved by the Daughters of the Confederacy. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. There have been, I mean, there have been some major culture shifts in the last <laughs> few decades. You look at some of these passages from these old books and it almost yeah. appears as if there is a competition between these former Confederate states yeah. as to which one could portray their version of slavery as the nicest. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. These narratives, they're like, they paint it as the whites were doing the Africans a favor by taking them out of the savagery of Africa and putting them in chains and oh bringing them to God. these nice plantations. And, you know, they were treating them as family. Right, right. Have you, like, have you seen some of these passages in these old textbooks? That yeah, yeah. I, there was an article that they looked up some of the textbooks that people like Mitch McConnell would have used when they went to school. Wow. And there were quotations from them, and it's pretty much what I'm saying. <laughs> like, wow. It is, like, mind-blowing. Wow. Like, yeah, no wonder they're upset with, like, yeah how this whole narrative has been has been flipped on its head i mean it i mean it's like they came out of an era of having their white privilege and their white ignorance totally protected and coddled really like coddled mm -hmm. and now they're being faced with people of color teaching their own histories for the first time and it's so damn threatening they just want to outlaw it that's that's the goal and like you know it really hasn't gotten that much better since the times of the Daughters of Confederacy approving the textbooks. Mm -hmm. um, I, I looked up a you know, pretty generic advanced placement U.S. history textbook from 2004. Mm -hmm. So right after I actually graduated. Yeah. And it was still defending the myth that the Civil War was about states' rights and not a war over slavery. Wow. And that's less than 20 years ago. Yeah, just absolute garbage as far as history goes. Oh my god. Right. Well, and that's what I was saying earlier that, you know, like, this is like, we, we're barely making progress in terms of taking white supremacist history and very slowly allowing a few voices of color to come in and, and teach about their own experience. This has been a very slow process, especially in right-wing states like Oklahoma and Idaho. And like, it's, I mean, it's barely changing and it's just amazing how quickly the fascist reactions come in to like absolutely squash these movements you know as soon as they become slightly effective yeah we're talking about half the country is either you know working on or has already passed these bills you know i had many classes in college whose curriculum would fall under a critical race theory framework were we taught that race was a social construction yes were we taught that some of us had racial privilege and could sail through society much more easily than our non-white counterparts because of our racial privilege? Yes. Were we taught about many of the institutional and structural barriers that black and indigenous people of color face that white people don't face? Yes, we were. And were we taught that this was a form of white privilege? Yes. So these right-wing opponents of critical race theory would say that you had a racist education. Right because I was taught US history from a non-white perspective as one of several perspectives. And sure, I did feel some guilt, pain, and remorse from learning about the atrocities of genocide and slavery in our history. I think it's okay to feel remorse for what your ancestors did. 
I think it's okay to feel pain and anguish in response to understanding the truth. Sadness and remorse are normal, natural feelings in the face of huge atrocities. And I also think it's a pretty natural emotional response to get upset when you realize that your entire K through 12 public education fed you a bunch of white supremacist lies and mythology in place of understanding a balanced history from multiple perspectives. It does take some emotional adjusting to get used to a more balanced version of reality. It's called growing up. But these fascists don't want to grow up, and they certainly don't want their children to get a real balanced education. I know Trump's been called a man baby before, so I think that's accurate. <laughs> and really, you know, there's a history to this. You know, conservatives have always been concerned that education would turn people into flaming liberals. It goes back to the time of Socrates when he was executed for corrupting the youth. Mm -hmm. The education system is a field for ideological struggle. And the fascists want a system that indoctrinates children into white supremacy and nationalism. That's why they're fighting against critical race theory and anti-racist education. Yeah. We learn the truth about history. It you know, shows what the United States actually is and breaks this fascist myth, this fairy tale that they keep on telling us. You know, how can you stay a white nationalist once you learn the truth about the genocide and terrorism perpetrated by the United States in our history? Totally. Totally. I totally agree. And taking a step back, I also find it really telling that the United States has never had any kind of truth and reconciliation commission about the genocide of indigenous people or slavery. There have been no presidential apologies. There has been nothing on a national level to address this. You know, I mean, we're seeing in the news right now, like all of these boarding schools, you know, finding these clandestine graves full of the bodies of hundreds of children in Canada, for example. And we know that the same thing happened here in the United States. And there's never been any kind of inquiry, national inquiry into what actually happened here. I mean, it's, it's, it's just outrageous. And ironically, it's, it's terrible. And that's, it's like, how can you not even think about wanting to learn about your history? And now all of these Republicans have these, you know, fascist plans to make sure that we never learn about the history, that it never comes to light. And ironically, that's exactly what the 1619 Project was attempting to do was to just, you know, create a broad collection of essays and articles about slavery to help people understand the present day impacts and legacies of slavery today. And this is one of the main pieces of curricula that critical race theory opponents want to get rid of. So young people in this country won't even have a chance to learn about the actual atrocities of slavery that are foundational to the United States, along with genocide, you know, without the right wing coming in and trying to just snuff out all of these histories. I, I just feel like had the US ever at least gone through some kind of like truth and reconciliation process like Germany did, for example, in the ways that they teach about the Holocaust, then the United States at this point might have a fighting chance at weathering this fascist backlash and still be able to come out with the truth on our side. You know, like we'd be able to see just how ridiculous and fascist these attempts to erase history are. But given that our government has never formally acknowledged these original sins and how their legacies still impact us today, 
we just don't have the traction to to do that in this country and instead kids are just left with these you know polarized media echo chambers whose realities aren't even based on the same set of facts because we've never established the same set of facts in this country so instead we're just like moving in this into this like fantastical whitewashed you know just mythology world where the voices of black and indigenous people of color will never be included. Yeah, and that's what Trump meant when he said, make America great again. <laughs> Just erase history. Erase history, go back to white supremacy, slavery, the Confederacy. Pretend none of that. Yeah, just pretend we were always, all, the white people were always the winners and somehow we just ended up on, on top dominating everybody else by some form of meritocracy or some shit like that. That's always been the essence of the new Republican platform. You know, demonize, repress, silence the voices of color. You know, silence the voice votes of people of color. Right. You know, we've Voter seen this repression. strategy you know, in the making for decades. You know, once they gave Black people the right to vote, they immediately did everything they could to take it away from them again. That's right. And Trump's just making this a very fashionable thing in today's Republican Party. And this is the direction the Republican Party is going very sadly and i think it's also what happens you know inside an oligarchy which is what the united states has become that no longer even cares about or thinks about people's material needs it's like instead of developing real policies that provide for basic needs and services to the masses the republicans are substituting substituting having a platform with just developing these culture wars you know, that take their place so that they don't even have to have a platform anymore. They can just attack people of color and marginalized groups as their main source of political fuel for their party. And that's why we're going to keep on hearing about critical race theory as we move forward into another election cycle. Ugh. I think it's going to be at the forefront. And I think that's part of the reason why we needed to make this podcast to focus on these important issues. Neither party is really addressing the material needs of the people. Right. And so we see the, uh, the Overton window is going to keep shifting further and further towards fascism unless we do something to counter this. Absolutely. And we will get more into that um, class-based analysis in our next section or our next episode but that does it for today's anti-fascist section. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks so much for listening to Crawdads and Taters. If you like this kind of non-corporate independent analysis, please make sure to subscribe to the podcast and share it with your friends. And please consider becoming a monthly subscriber at patreon.com slash crawdads and taters. Because even though we're anti-capitalists, we still have to eat and pay bills. Even the smallest monthly donation allows us to continue. And remember, always be anti-fascist. And anti-brunchin. Crawdads and Taters is a self-produced and directed production by Aaron McCarley and Burian Sundahl. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Breaker, CastBox, Google Podcasts, Overcast, Pocket Casts, and Radio Public. Three for dime, Lord, Lord. Tell my call that three for dime. Honey, oh, hey.